Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Passing Shot Tennis Podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And today we are having a look back on Katie Bolter's victory on the Progress Tour all the latest chatter on the US Open and reacting to the news that the World Tour Finals in London is set to go ahead. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. everybody welcome back to another episode of the passing shot we are now coming out of Wimbledon mode and back into catch-up mode with lots of exhibitions uh, taking place around the world some in the UK some in the states some in Europe I'm sure Dominic team is somewhere there Kim but um, yeah we're getting to this point now where we're getting these exhibitions some are behind closed doors some are with fans and it has got me thinking, Kim, should I be on the, the British Airways flash, flash sales to, uh, to nab a cheap flight to maybe watch some live tennis again? Well, you could, Joel, but to be honest, the furthest I would feel comfortable going right now is probably Roehampton. So I, I'm not going to be getting <laughs> on a plane anytime soon. I'm, I'm being very cautious still, I think. But um, yeah, it's interesting that some of the events have actually had fans. Um, I think the fans in Berlin were walking through disinfectant mists. So that's an interesting uh, idea. I, I don't know how effective that actually is, but I think that would, I don't know. I think visually that makes, that would make me feel more comfortable if I was to attend anything. But um, yeah, let's, let's like, we've got so much to talk about actually. There have been lots of like little bitty bits of tennis going on. Um, so maybe we should start here in the UK, um, a bit closer to home where they haven't been playing with fans, um, at least not yet. And we had the progress tour taking place, didn't we, Joel, um, at the National Tennis Centre this week, um, which is kind of, I guess, you know, we had the Battle of the Brits, uh, which is the kind of male British players. And this is specifically for female players. And and just to mention, Jamie Murray has announced that they're going to be doing a joint uh, mixed one soon as well, which is great news. Um, I think that would be a really fun event to... Um, to watch but yeah we had Katie Bolter winning this week's progress tour um beating Jodie Burridge in in the final did you get to watch much I know it was on the BBC so I did watch a little bit yeah I did watch a bit of it actually I was kind of interested to see first of all obviously Katie Bolter you know she was out of the tour I think with a you know a, a spinal injury um so I was interested to see how she was uh you know playing coming back into competition but I was also interested to see how um, Jodie Burridge uh, was going to get on against her because um, although I think Jodie was kind of the you know the higher ranked player, mm-hmm. um, I was interested. It was a player I've not really known much about, but I've, I'd heard good things during the week, so I was kind of interested to see you know the, her tools and to see you know could I think that you know she could uh, you know break out onto you know the WTA tour proper. Um, so yeah, I did I did watch a bit of it, and I think they gave us a pretty good it was a pretty good final with uh, Bolter winning. From a set and a breakdown, uh, she came through three six seven six six two, 
and um yeah no i think it was a very i think it was a very well run tournament i just think i think it was a bit of a shame actually because um i think you know looking back on it it felt like all more of a banana skin for katie balter because uh you know heather watson harriet dart i think were both due to compete and pulled out um with uh ankle and groin injuries Katie Swan also kind of withdrew, I think, from her match on the Tuesday because because of a hip injury. So it felt like the the draw was a little bit decimated, to be honest. And um, you know, I don't know if that added, you know, sort of extra pressure on Katie to be like, okay, I really need to win this because, you know, I felt like, you know, when when those injuries took place and those withdrawals happened, it felt like she was you know, she was a cut above, um, you know, the rest of the competition. Yeah, I think um, I would have, I mean, I would have loved to have seen, you know, Balter against Watson or something in the final. Not, no discredit to Jodie Burridge, but, you know, the more established players like Watson, Dart, you know, even Katie Swan, I'm sure they would have been really looking forward to taking part as well. And, you know, having been out for so long and, um, yeah, I, d- I don't know if it's perhaps the lack of the lack of tennis has kind of meant their their bodies are kind of croaking a bit, trying to get back into it. I don't know, but um I'm hoping that they will, you know, recover quickly and, and maybe be able to take part in, in you know, this mixed event that's, that's coming up. Um, but yeah, sure. I mean, Bolter, she came through. She did what she needed to do. She won it. Um, I'm sure that will be a confidence boost for her now that she's like back playing again after, you know, such a long layoff for most of last year, to be honest. Um, and yeah, Jodie Burridge, like one to watch. She's only 21. And I think she's, yeah, like you said, she's she's been in really good form. I think she's only lost... Um, like a handful, maybe two or three matches in the last kind of few weeks or so. So she's in really good form. And um, she also was playing at, I think, the Pro Tour the the week before last and um, did well at that. So, you know, I think she's one, one to look out for. Like when everything does go back to normal again, you know, it would be great to see her at Wimbledon, for example, um, you know, coming through qualities or getting a wild card. I mean, hopefully she'll be in a position to to kind of get that um but yeah we have had also as i just mentioned the, the pro series which is taking place at st george's uh in weybridge so i think they're actually in the final um of that um like the second or third week of it at the moment it's emily appleton naomi Brody. so that's going on as we're recording this joel um it is a bit confusing though isn't it having like all these different events taking place um it's a shame that in a way there's not like one massive kind of event where they could all be in together like a, a british grand slam or something yeah i was hoping to see uh because that you know as you said naomi Brody was there and i think it would have been great to see like the best of you know what the you know british players you know, have to offer and you know it would have been good i think to have ideally everyone in one place and and just kind of showcase it as you know as one event um i understand maybe logistically that might Mm, not be possible um but it felt like these two it almost kind of like these two events on this week were almost kind of competing with each other and as a result of that it felt like they had almost potentially diluted uh you know the quality rather than just having you know like one event um so yeah but um yeah but i kind of yeah i was kind of just kind of a word on, on Jodie Burridge, because, you know, I, I did kind of as I watched the final. I thought particularly her ground strokes were, were very impressive to me. And um, I think it was just a case of she just ran out of steam because I think, you know, she was in, in good form. I think she's been playing over the last two or three weeks. And 
um as you said i think you know this is a time when you know people are you know tennis players are, are getting used to being back out on court and and seeing how their body reacts and you know for someone like burridge i think you know i think in, after her semi-finals she was almost like i'm running on fumes here um and so she put in a really good account of herself in in the final um but it, it just shows you i think that you know with the you know, the injuries that have happened, you know, I think there might be some people out there to be like, that, that's a bit strange because, you know, you've been off for, you know, four or five months. Shouldn't you, you know, arguably should you been have been putting in all the conditioning there? So, you know, this, you know, these withdrawals shouldn't really be happening. But, you know, at the same time, I don't think you can, you can't replicate the, you know, that sort of match level over, over lockdown and you know you don't know how your body reacts until you kind of get back out on the court and face uh you know and, and face your opponent so um you know i think i think it was kind of i think it was a bit you know it was a little bit of a shame obviously not to see kind of you know watson and dart there because they're such great competitors and you know real sort of um you know they're obviously kind of you know i think kind of getting to the point now they're you know they are staple names in in, in british women's tennis and you know, I think it would have been good to kind of, you know, could, to kind of showcase, you know, like what it takes, you know, almost kind of like the players who are established on the WTA tour versus the players who are maybe perhaps looking to make that breakthrough like Burridge, just to kind of show you, okay, this is what you need, you know, in order to make that jump. Yeah, it would also have been interesting if like Jay Conter had played. I mean, would she have wiped the floor with everyone? Would she have, mm. you know, won it easily or or, or maybe not? So, um yeah, I mean, and also as a layperson, I can totally understand, like, when I start trying to run again after many months or years <laughs> out, I instantly, you know, my calf gets tight, my hips go, my neck hurts. Like, I know, you know, you're a regular runner, um, but having been out and then, like, trying to go back to it. Oh, you flatter me, Kim. <laughs> then I really struggle. I'm sure a lot of our listeners may have encountered this as well. Um, so, I don't know. I can kind of kind of relate to maybe these the players, like, having these kind of injuries maybe um but yeah also we've had the british tour going on at uh, roehampton as well so i guess the most notable uh result i suppose came last week we had uh cam norrie playing paul job in the final uh and norrie kind of you know thrashed him really 6-1 and 6-3 i think job was was also struggling with an injury but that's been going on as well um so plenty plenty to kind of you know, get your teeth into domestically, I suppose, for for British players. And, it, you know, it's great that these events are happening because at least there's something. And and hopefully, you know, is next month we, we do have, you know, live real tennis uh, going on. So I'm hoping that our British players will have used this time wisely as to kind of make the most of, of upcoming um, events. But yeah, Norrie, Norrie won that without dropping a set. So, you know, hopefully this will bode well for his his summer. I mean, it's been great to kind of be able to obviously watch this on on BBC Online as well. So it's good to kind of see sort of the progress that that players are making, and also kind of give a platform to you know some of the players. I you know I wasn't really kind of totally familiar with um, you know mm. um, before even you know before lockdown. So I think it's it's a really kind of interesting um, you know it's an interesting time where of course there are going to be you know these it's almost kind of like the players who you you almost would have expected to be you know globe trotting around the world or in in one place and it's you know for me it's almost like that opportunity to you know put them up and pit them against you know some of the up and coming players and you know that in theory that you know nori 
Jub final is is the sort of thing that I think I, you know, I quite liked. You know, I think what the you know these tour events should be doing is kind of you know showing you know showing youngsters and showing those people who want to make that transition what they need to do in order to make it. And you know, someone like Cameron Norrie, who's you know asserted himself on the you know the ATP tour and, and done it in a different route, obviously coming through kind of college tennis. Um, it just shows you, I think, um, you know, it just, it's just like, this is what you need to do in order to get there. Exactly. And, and, you know, we've talked about up and coming players, Joel, but we do need to mention, uh, two players <laughs> who are, are not really up and coming. Maybe they're having like a, a second or third career in some cases, and they've been taking part in some exhibitions as well. Um, so Kim Kleisters, for one, you know, we know that she had announced her return to the WTA tour and she played a handful of matches back in March before, you know, lockdown and, and everything, coronavirus. Um, and, you know, she's been back uh, in the world team tennis in America, um, getting involved and and beating Grand Slam champions. Uh, but also Tommy Haas has been in the uh, event in Berlin uh, and has also had some interesting results. Uh, I mean, who would have thought <laughs> that these two would be like right I don't know, you know, we'd be talking about them uh, in 2020, you know, many years after they kind of were at the top of the game and had retired. It's crazy. It's so funny because, you know, the I think I, you know, I was reading a stat somewhere. July 2002, uh, Kim Kleisters was WTA number five. Tommy Haas was ATP number three. July 2020, Kim Kleisters and Tommy Haas are still playing tennis. And Kim Kleisters is... Okay, yes, it's world team tennis and some, you know, we have to obviously take that with a pinch of salt. But Kim Kleisters has already um has already beaten on a tennis court uh Sophia Kennan. She's beaten Sloane Stevens, uh she's beaten uh Danielle Collins and uh Bernarda Perra. So she's beaten two Grand Slam champions um on a tennis court in admittedly in one set wins. Um you know, I think it's it's really interesting. I think the you know, we're seeing you know, we we we're seeing players kind of give good accounts for themselves, but because they're in these you know exhibition events, it does raise that question: is how how seriously can we how seriously can we take this? Can we? I mean, let's let's talk about Kim Kleisters. Can we get excited about Kim Kleisters' level in you know in world team tennis? And are we expecting her to replicate that once the the tour gets? up and running back uh, properly. Well, I want to get excited because there's not much to get excited <laughs> about at the moment. So I'll yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, I mean, yes, it is, it is like a one set thing. It's an exhibition. It's not, you know, best of three set match at a slam and playing, you know, multiple matches in, in the course of, you know, a few days that could be sort of three hours long. You know, it is very different. Um, but, you know, she went, and won the world, the, the US Open uh, as a wild card before, like on her comeback. So, the, the stranger things have happened. I think you know, I I, I don't know. I just <laughs> I just think you know, it's it's positive, isn't it? And I mean, I wouldn't sort of if if it's Kleister's Kenin in the US Open, you know, this year, I'd still go with Sphere Kenin winning that one despite this result, for example. But I think it's it steps in the right direction. And I mean, as for Tommy Haas. Well, I mean, he beat Jan Leonard Struff, who, you know, is, is number 34 in the world. And, you know, Tommy Haas at 42, who's been retired for several years. You wouldn't um, imagine that kind of result, really. And he he almost uh, beat Yannick Sinner, who we know is kind of 
real up and coming next gen um and he um you know lost kind of fairly close to Dominic team so I don't know if he's thinking of making a comeback or if this was just a bit of fun or you know he wasn't thinking about it but he might be now I mean 42 is I don't want to say past it but you know it's he's a bit older than Kim Clijsters so I mean would you would you want to see him back on tour if, if he was offered a wild card to a tournament maybe he could offer himself a wild card to, to Indian world <laughs> yes. the tournament director is that allowed Kim, I love that, that, that idea. Yeah. are you allowed to do that that would be so <laughs> that would that would be great i'd love to see that giving yourself your own wild card um i i i you know i would i would love to see it i don't know if he's you know taken inspiration from you know kim kleister's coming back on the tour or you know he's just been going crazy bouncing off the walls inside his his home and is like i just want to get back out and playing and playing tennis um but yeah it's great it's great to see him and you know that match against dominic team it was just great to see you know, like an old, like the old school, like single-handed backhand against the new school single-handed backhand. And, um, you know, it was really great to watch. And it, it sort of reminded me, actually, and, you know, I don't know if it, it reminded our, our listeners, but, you know, we spoke, um, you know, we did a podcast a few, you know, a few uh, months ago about, you know, the best best players to to have never won a slam. And well, I didn't even know, did we even include Tommy Haas on that list? But yeah, you know, watching... we did. We did mention him because, you know, he was number three in the world and I don't mm. think he ever made the slam final, but he was, he was very consistent. So I, th- I think we did give him an honourable mention. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, I mean, this just, I think this just kind of shows you like he's, his quality um, and consistency, his durability. It's just, um, you know, it's it's pretty impressive, and again, they, these are exhibitions, and you know, these are you know the these pros are just coming back. So, again, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. But you know, at forty two years old, it's it's very very impressive. Um, and actually, Kim, when I when I was researching this, I didn't realize, I didn't realize actually with Tommy Haas, his his final match, well, his final match so far, um, before he properly retired on the ATP tour. Uh, well, he 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 finished his his last victory was in Stuttgart. Um, do you want to have a guess against who his opponent? Oh, Stuttgart. Um, it was on a gra- grass court, isn't it? So, on a grass court, yeah. Um, oh well, uh, Stuttgart. Or are you? Or, he used to play Haller a lot. Is it Haller or Stuttgart we're talking mm. about? Um, oh, uh, Kohlschreiber. I don't know. <laughs> he beat. Roger Federer oh, okay. beat Roger Federer cool. on the grass court in in Stuttgart, oh. um, and that was his last ever victory, which I think is a an amazing sort of way to to finish your career. So I almost come like, do you want to ruin that? It's like if he if he if he did come back, you know, would he? Well, we you know, have. It's um, like you can't. What's the best way to end your career, isn't it? Win against Federer on a grass. Well, court. I would say Marion Barsley winning Wimbledon might be a better way of ending ending oh, one's career yeah. to win a slam or, or Panetta at the US Open. Um, <laughs> but we could have Haas against Federer then next year, like two forty-year-olds. Well, actually, Federer won't be forty until next summer. But you know, we could we could have a rematch of that Stuttgart final. It's it's stranger things have happened, which is the second time I've said that this year. He's already scheming at the Indian at the Indian Wells, you know. He's like praying for a rain delay, and he's like, "Oh, Roger, do you want to? You know, should we should we should we please the crowd and give them what they want?" Um, but um, but yeah, I think the question though, I think is a little bit different for Kim Kleisters because 
you know, we talk about wild cards and, you know, it'd be yeah, it'd be a bit of a laugh if, if Tommy Haas got given a wild card. A sort, sort of like, you know, Leighton Hewitt getting all those wild cards yeah, playing doubles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he'll never retire as Leighton Hewitt. He'll just keep going until he's 100 playing doubles. <laughs> but I think it's a sort of different question with Kim Kleisters because I think at the moment, in order for her to get into the US Open, she would need a wild card. And... You know, I think a lot of fans would feel, you know, it's a no-brainer. She's, th- I think, what well, she's a three-time, three-time US Open champion, former world number one, Hall of Famer, etc. Um, and you know, it, it feels like it's 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 inevitable uh, if if the US Open does happen. Um, but I, you know, on the flip side, I don't know if there's an argument to say, well, actually, you know, at the moment, you know, wild cards, you know, that's guaranteed, you know prize entry money could go to players who've been really struggling over lockdown would you know is there an argument there to maybe prioritize those sorts of players against you know former grand slam champion who's you know already had their life made i guess so i mean yes i I, she doesn't need the money she doesn't um you know she's she's been there done that ideally you would look to the future and and give players who kind of like materially also really could do with the money um however i guess the mm. organizers would think mm, what's going to attract more fans or yeah. you know what, what's going to well, not fans at the site obviously but what's going to attract more global <laughs> attention to our tournament having you know a multiple grand slam champion uh former world number one you know coming back like this is a great story so i i kind of feel like they would choose that to be honest whatever's probably going to make them the most money uh as well as the tournament um potentially would influence their decision uh so we'll have to see what happens uh, and that will be eagerly awaiting you know the news in the run-up to to the us open um just a note on um you know we mentioned dominic team playing dominic uh, playing tommy haas there uh you know, dominic team is is he looking like the favorite for when tennis kind of resumes again because he's been racking up uh not just tournaments, but also wins uh, during, you know, coronavirus era. Is he like the goat of COVID? Is he, is he, <laughs> is, is he doing this to become... The goat of COVID? <laughs> is that what we're calling Well, I don't know, team? maybe that's a bit offensive, but <laughs> is he like doing this, you know, in order so that he can be right out the gates, you know, when it, when it comes to the US Open and, and he doesn't want to, you know, he, he knows that, you know, Federer's not going to be playing it. Rafa's probably not going to be playing it. Maybe not Novak. He wants to be the one to win it, doesn't he? He wants to be the one there and picking up his first slam. It does feel like he has maybe sensed uh, an opportunity over lockdown because I I can't think of any other reason why you'd want to play. I think he's played so far 28 matches in 52 days. And, you know, he's played, uh, you know, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. Obviously, he was on the Adria Tour. Austrian Pro Series. He's in uh, Berlin at the moment. It feels like, yeah, he he in his head the tour the tour never stopped. He he just wanted to keep going, and you know maybe it is because you know he's feeling like the U.S. Open with you know all this uncertainty. We don't even know who's going to turn up. This maybe he thinks is his opportunity to potentially step out of the you know the the big three shadow. Uh, and get his first slam. Um, and, you know, he wants to be in an absolute prime position to do that. That's the only reason I can really think of why he's playing, you know, he's playing all these all these events, uh, you know, under the sun. Um, my only question about it is the fact that he is playing all these events. Is that 
is that the right image? Like, I get it from a performance point of view, but, you know, is there a sort of, I don't want to say carelessness because, you know, I've, you know, Dominic team has obviously been very careful. And I, I, you know, you, you see him on his social media say, you know, I've been taking you know, all the tests, et cetera. Um, and, you know, making sure he, I think he does it, but, you know, by the book, you know, obviously the, the Adria cup was, you know, something in itself, but, you know, is there a, is there that sort of flip side? Is it at the, you know, at the, the, the advantage of doing all these matches, the disadvantages, the feeling that maybe some fans are looking at it like, Hey, why are you, you know, why are you playing all these matches? Isn't your, are you almost kind of prioritizing like performance over your, over potentially kind of your, your, safety and well-being yeah maybe he just doesn't have an anxious bone in his body i don't know in which case i envy him like uh i don't know it's yeah i think it doesn't i mean it didn't look good when he was involved in you know the atria tour and, and all of that and um but i mean i think obviously he has been you know if, if if everyone in the world could be tested as frequently as dominic team has been then you know that would probably be very helpful for getting to the bottom of where exactly the virus is but um yeah, I guess it's it's like what you know. This is their livelihood. This is their job. Um, can, you know, should we be too judgmental? Because yes, okay, he probably could sit back. He doesn't like necessarily need the money. It's not like desperation, but you know, we're only lots of other people are having to go out to work, aren't they? Um, and people might say, well, you're taking a risk by getting on that bus to go to work, but it's like they have to. Um, I don't know. Maybe I, it's it's quite hard to compare, but I think <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of judgment going on. And um, even when I go to the supermarket, you know, it's like are people judging me for like if I'm not standing like five meters away? You know, like it's it's makes you sort of question every little thing you do. Um, so I don't sort of want to be too harsh, but I think as long as he's taking the necessary measures, like. But yeah, I mean, he is like the. He has been getting around a bit. And I mean, I'm assuming he is going to the US Open and then he'll be playing the clay as well. So, um, which we'll get onto a bit later because that's that's a big sort of decision I think a lot of players are having to make. Like, do they play both? Do they choose one and not the other? But we'll get onto that in a little bit. Um, just to touch on some of the, you know, we did mention, you know, the Berlin event. Um, and obviously it's interesting that they've had uh, fans at that event. I think they had about 800 fans, um, which... You know, the capacity for the stadium was 5,000. So 800 out of 5,000, you know, that's less than 20%. I don't know the exact percentage. I'm not going to work that out. But um, I thought it was interesting that, yeah, they went, the fans were going through like this cloud of disinfectant. They had temperature checks. So is this kind of what we're going to be looking at, you know, for fans when they do return to tennis now, um, that these kind of protocols... um, I, I don't know. I mean, I know they've announced, you know, fans for Roland Garros this year, which is a surprise. I have to say when, when that kind of came out and obviously tickets went on sale a few days ago. Um, personally, I don't know if I would feel comfortable yet to to kind of sit at a tennis match uh, with hundreds of other people in the stadium. Um, what, what do you, what's your take on this? I, I know a lot of our listeners are hesitant, but I know some are also, you know, planning to go. So it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's um, it takes away from the tennis. You know, I'm not even mentioning that. You know what, what happened in that exhibition. We're just talking about the fans and science and all this kind of stuff. But we have to now. It's important. I think for me, the I think what I quite like about the measures that they put in place is that I think you know as you touched on it earlier, it's like they're visual. You can you can see you can see the things that they're doing, and you know for me, I that 
that almost kind of gives me like the reassurance and the confidence to be like, okay, I can see this thing visually. I can go through it. Um, and you know, that is going to, going to put my sort of mind, like mind at ease, you know, I, I, my only kind of, I guess my only kind of maybe concern or question would be, I feel like it needs to be, you know, integrated and feel seamless and it doesn't negate from the fan viewing experience for example, you know, uh, you know, it's going to add like thirty minutes to you know to queuing, so you're going to miss, you know, th- the tennis match inside or, or something like that. But if they can make, sh- if they can put these measures in and kind of integrate them seamlessly into the experience, and certainly I'm all for it because I think if you can see these things, um, you know, at an event, I think you know now it just you know it adds credibility. Um, it's something that I, you know, I think fans are, you know, looking at, at tournaments to do. Um, and yeah, I think it, it would, I think it would put my mind, you know, I think it would put my mind at ease. Um, I think the biggest, the more, the biggest unknown is probably, you know, the, the, the other fans. And it's like, no matter what preparation and protocols and procedures or whatever a tournament puts in place, you don't, almost like the there's that feeling of you don't know all the who all the other people are in the in the crowd yeah you need to trust don't you um that they've been sensible and careful and and it, it's just blows my mind actually when you think about you know life before coronavirus and how we could just you know at certain you know courts out in Wimbledon and the grounds or something you know you're absolutely crammed in like even just standing there or you know it's just like so much like body contact going on at the best of times like you just absolutely like ra- like rammed in and you think oh wow like this is going to take I-, I don't know when we could ever go back to that but and I'm not sure I you know right now I certainly wouldn't want to because I'd be probably having a panic attack um, at the thought of it but um yeah it's 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 interesting and I mean I'm intrigued to see how Roland Garros will go because I know they've said that they you know masks will be mandatory as you're walking around the grounds but in the stands they're recommended but not mandatory um and you know they're going to be having the the seating kind of gaps between like households or you know groups of fans I don't I don't know I'm I'm just intrigued to see how that's going to work in in reality but I mean, because the the French Open, the tickets went on sale, didn't they, to the mm-hmm. general public this week? And it would be interesting to know to hit, see what that that pickup was like, because you know, I, I I genuinely don't know if it if you know the they would have sold like you know the the rate of selling would have been the same mm. pre lockdown because you know everyone's kind of missed out on their tennis, or has there been a bit of a a, a lag because you know people have this you know extra hesitancy and um you know i think only kind of time you know obviously obviously time will tell um and uh it will it will be interesting to see um you know as i said kind of with the french open tickets going on sale it will be interesting to see you know, how 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 it looks because that will be that will be the big that will be the first grand slam that will have fans so you know it's going to be up there in terms of you know a lot of kind of eyes on the event and you know seeing you know if it's a a, if uh, seeing 
you know, almost ho- hopefully laying a blueprint of how you have fans at a Grand Slam on that scale, um, you know, in the in the new normal. I imagine it would be mostly Parisians and French fans. I, I can't imagine international take up would be as high, um, which, you know, m- might mean we get an awful lot more of, you know, the allos uh, from the crowd, which I love so much. So I don't know, maybe the French, French players will, will benefit. <laughs> Because I mean, at the moment, and we just we we're just talking about the Grand Slams, and you know, Melbourne is in. I was speaking to my friend in Melbourne yesterday. Melbourne's in in local lockdown, mm-hmm. yeah. and it, that you know that that feels like that feels like genuinely. If 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 fans are allowed at the Australian, that feels like uh, it's going to be you know ninety eight percent. You know, Australian. Um, so it is. It will be interesting to see because, as you said, US Open, no fans. Okay, feels manage feels manageable or relatively more manageable than from the French Open potentially onwards uh, with you know with fans. Exactly, and and let's um, let's just touch on some of the other results that we've seen. Um, you know, in that Berlin exhibition, we did have. Um, you know, Dominic Team won that. He beat Berrettini in, in the men's final. But we also had Svitolina um, winning against Kvitova um, in the female uh, final, which was delayed, I think, by a couple of days. And then they ended up having to play it indoors. So um, not ideal, I suppose. Terrible weather, affecting <laughs> it. But yeah, she won that on a, on a match tie break. Um, so yeah, they had some really good names, obviously. Top, top players at that event. And then just to finish on as well, Joel, we've had, you know, the final of the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. Uh, you know, Patrick Morotoglu's little baby. Um, Berrettini won that one um, against Sitsipas. Um I, I kind of want to read out the score because it's so far me. Uh, 16, 15, 15, 12, 12, 14, 8, 15, 3, 2. Um, I have no idea. What <laughs> 3, that means. 2. What does that where, mean? Where does that 3, 2 come from? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think, like, yeah, I, I mean, all jokes all jokes aside, it sounds like, uh, I know we kind of ragged on it a little bit in our in our last catch up. And our, our, some of our listeners let, let us know that. And, I think what it actually sounds like is this has been a fun, innovative format that has uh, proved to be successful. I take like what Muratroglu says about his own event with a little bit of a pinch of salt, um, but it sounds like it has been um, you know really well received. And I actually kind of I did watch a bit more of it, and I did like this idea of tennis being more immersive, and I felt like the Ultimate Tennis Showdown did channel that because they did things really sort of wacky things like you know players being able to speak to you know tv audiences during their match and you know to get their kind of thoughts on like you know tactics and you know aspects of the game and you know things like that i did it did make me think about like could tennis be more immersive as a fan experience and whether ultimate tennis showdown maybe is is on to something yeah i think um what i see it as and i think patrick morotoglu said this it's like a separate product in tennis so like it's not supposed to try and like take over what we've got already it's like an alternative and if people maybe aren't really into tennis or like they're new to tennis this is something that might appeal to them more um as like a shortened quicker like more lively format um rather than sitting and watching like a, a typical you know best of five slam match um so I think that yeah that is his aim I totally get that and I think if it's if it's kind of a separate thing like I think you know like something like tiebreak tens they, those kind of things it's like a bit of fun 
an additional thing um isn't going to appeal to everyone that's fine maybe it's maybe it is getting a younger audience maybe some of those people will then start following you know tennis <laughs> generally and then that's great attracting new fans as well um some of the things that he did say though he said oh maybe this could um you know, when everything goes back to normal, we could we could have, you know, a UCS happening and like we could have it on at weekends when, you know, you normally have like the qualies for a particular tournament taking place. And he said that maybe top players could play this like the week before a tournament as like, I guess, kind of a warm up uh, thing. So you could have it at, at, an, at an event for the top players to participate in before um, the event begins. So that's an interesting idea. Um, I don't know how top players would feel about that. They might be overtired but then it is a very short format you know it's like 10 minute kind of quarters so yeah I think there is scope and a space for it um but we'll have to see how how the pickup is you know once things go back to normal um but it's certainly been an interesting addition and uh you know we've we had a lot of good players involved in it so um maybe we, we were a bit harsh on it before in our previous previous pod but I think um you know, maybe it's not for me, but I can see its appeal certainly for a lot of other people. Okay, Kim, we are back and we are now at the time in our catch up where I normally uh, give you a mysterious player, a bunch of clues for you to guess the player. But that is not happening this week, Kim. Um, sorry to say. Um, we are actually going to do a new game. Uh, a new sort of like quiz format. I, it's so new, actually. I haven't actually thought of a name for it. So, <laughs> uh, listeners, actually, if you've got any names for for what this this game could be, let let us know. Um, but yeah, Kim, I've got a new new game for it. The way the way it's going to work is that I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a topic in tennis, and you're going to tell me how many correct answers you think you can guess. Um, and then and then tell me and then you're going to tell me who they are without getting uh, without getting a wrong answer. Um, and yeah, I feel like we need to have some sort of jeopardy as well. We haven't got any jeopardy at the moment. So so it's a bit like a gamble and a quiz combined. I have to predict how well I think I'm going to do. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um... <laughs> okay. I'm excited. It's good. I've been I've been doing a lot of quizzing this week in preparation for something else, uh, which I can't mention. But uh, yeah, hit me. Let's go. Okay. Right. So this is the the category I, I've got for you and for our listeners. Listeners, you're obviously welcome to to play along as well. So, since 2000, there have been ten individuals who have been the year-end number one in the women's game. Oh. How many of those do you think you can name? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, my days. <laughs> um, uh, okay, I know I need to be quite quick with this because obviously in your head you could start <laughs> doing the answers and then, okay, I'm going to say seven. I could. I think I can name seven. <laughs> Ooh, seven, okay. Seven out of ten. Oh. Uh, Okay, well, right. So seven out of ten. End, a... Year end is a different kettle of fish, isn't it? It's just like yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not talking about WTA finals. Okay, well, about year seven. end number one. I'll overestimate my capability. Okay. Okay. So you want give me a seven? Now. Uh, Serena Williams. Obviously. Yeah. Um, yep. Justine Enan. Correct. That's two uh, out of seven. Yelena Yankovic. Oh, very good. As I, I remember you to get we one, talked yes. about her in a pod previously. Um, um, so Simona, Hallep. Simona Halep. 
Yep, that's four. She did it, I think, back to back. Uh, Ash Barty last year. That's five. Yep. Oh, um, I'm trying to go back in time. Uh, I mean, I've got lots of other players who have obviously been number one in my head, but I'm like, would it have been year end? Um, Mm. Was Venus Williams ever year end? Mm. What about Kim Clijsters? Uh, Was she year end? Uh, I I mean, as a ranking, five out of seven. Number one. I mean, was the Aki's been number one? Uh, Caroline Wozniacki. Caroline Wozniacki is correct. Oh, yes. Six out of seven. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sharapova, would she have been year end? Hmm. So I'm looking for, if you give me one more, yeah. you get a good I If I get on the one back. wrong, yeah. does that mean I forfeit the whole thing? Um, I'll maybe <laughs> give you one. I'll give you one okay. wrong answer. Um. Oh, it's gonna I'm gonna have to take a punt, aren't I? Um <laughs> This is quite a good good test. Uh what about more recently? Did Osaka finish as number one? Hmm. I'm gonna have to oh I oh I'm gonna say uh um I mean Moresme was was she went number one for a bit, maybe. Um I'm gonna have to say Kim Clijsters. I don't know if she ended it as number one. End of the year. Kim Kleisters, is that your final answer? Yeah. Kim Kleisters is incorrect. Oh, no. She did not end. Okay, fair She did not. uh, She was not a year end uh, number one. Um, You did say some players Mm. that that were year end number one, that were correct answers. Um, If you had said Victoria Azarenka... Okay. That was a correct answer. Okay, yeah. If you had said Angelique Kerber. Oh, I forgot about her. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that would have been that would have been a correct answer. Um and then the two others were right at the start of uh the millennium. Lindsay Davenport oh, was uh, year end number one. Mm-hmm. And um surprisingly actually I didn't I I didn't think Martina Hingis stretched this far, but Martina Hingis was the year end number one in two thousand. Oh okay. Yeah, I, I I did think there must be some earlier on, but I was like struggling to mm. think. I didn't do too badly. I almost got my seven. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'll I'll have to so, uh... going for you next time. Get my <laughs> own back. But yeah, listeners, uh listeners, let us know. How did you do? Did you get all did you get all ten? Or did you did you get seven or yeah? Let us know what you think. Did you prefer? Did you like this game? Uh, what is a name for it? Or did you do? Or do you just want us to get back to mysterious player? Um, I feel like we could. We feel like we could alternate between the two. I'm up for quizzing all the time, so yes, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or listeners, maybe if you've got another suggestion for a game, then let us know as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's let's do some listener questions now, Joel. Um, we had Vikesh get in contact with us on our passing shot mailbag. Um, with an interesting question um, about the GOAT debate in tennis, he said that um, it seems that there will never be a GOAT answer that pleases everyone, uh, talking about the men's side here. Uh, do you think it's time that people just stop the GOAT debate? There are so many different streaks and records, um, etc. So like, should we just not even discuss like who is the greatest of all time? Or, you know, oh, or can we actually discuss it? Because... You know, we've got the big three at the moment. Do we need to wait till they've, you know, ended their careers before we could kind of actually come to a um, final answer on, on at least, you know, those three? What do you think? 
I'm on. I'm of the camp that I am. I'm. I am increasing. It's like the go-to question. It's like it's like the question you ask, like in the pub, if you're talking tennis, and you know, it, it's. I've, I feel like we've seen this question like a million times over the last, like I don't know, fifty fifteen years. Um, but um, yeah, for me, it's like getting almost like it's a bit tired now, and. You know, there's still. I know it's remarkable, but there are still so many sort of moving parts that I don't. I don't think you can make the. You can't make the assessment until, like, genuinely, when all is said and done, and all three players have retired. Then I think you could open. The I then I think you can open that sort of debate. Um, but I think at the moment it's it's just like whoever shouts loudest um, is sort of like, you know their voice gets heard i don't think there's not mm. a it's not a there's a right or wrong answer and as kind of vikesh point out it's like there are like loads of different records and, and streaks going on and i feel like it almost kind of detracts from some of those other sort of records going on and the fact that you know i think particularly it, it almost kind of you forget about the other players who've won kind of grand slams um you know like del potro for example you know like for example with, with the us open and I hope those sorts of achievements, even though they might be individual and and sole achievements, don't get sort of overlooked because we're just kind of fixated on who is the goat? Who is the goat? Is it Roger Federer? Is it Rafa Nadal? Is it Novak Djokovic? You know, like, I just hope it, yeah, I just hope it doesn't like um, just completely sort of... um, Take away everyone else. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Um, It's, you know, I think... For me, instantly, I think, well, there's different surfaces. I would say, I would say quite confidently that Rafa is the goat of clay, like, regardless. Um, I would possibly say Djokovic is the goat of hardcore and Federer is the goat of grass. I mean, I think that's quite a fair division. Um, but then you've got to look at the head to heads, and obviously, Novak has a winning head to head over both of them. Um, so is he actually the goat um, or is it purely on the number of Sams that they've won? In which case, currently Federer would be the goat, but you can't really, you know, in a few years time when they're all retired, Novak might have ended with the most, in which case I would probably say him. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's uh, it's very tricky. Um, I And I think, you know, it's different as well with with like comparing across eras. I think that's a very hard comparison to make. But at least the joy of this is that we do have these three in the same era. So it is almost easier to compare between those three. And I mean, I think I'm just assuming that the GOAT debate is is with those three. But obviously other people would care to point out other players, you know, from, uh, you know, past eras. So is it limited to these three players or can it extend out even though other people may not have won as many slams? Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting question for Thank you for, for bringing it to us because I think the more you go into it, you think actually, yeah, like it is quite subjective. I, I don't know if there's a way of doing it um, where you give like points based on different things or something. <laughs> Kim, I was just thinking, I was just looking at the, the word goat as an acronym and I wonder whether you could ha- you could actually put it to goatee <laughs> existing era existing era so you could just literally talk about th- like those three because yeah I think you're right there's like a there is a point on the fact that it is very hard to sort of compare com- you know compare generations but maybe even compare genders as well like you know it's it's a very there's lots of different 
dimensions and ways you can kind of slice it and it just makes it a really thorny and complex issue and let's just like you know let's just agree that it's just like you know let's kind of let's kind of wait until well I, I would like you just kind of wait until it's all all is said and done so we can make a proper call. It reminds me, Joel, when I was in uh, college, I had an argument with a friend, um, which we actually, I think, fell out over, which is silly. But it was about which boy band was better, Westlife or Take That. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you d- define greatness? Is it the number of number ones they've had or the number of album sales like it's a it's an interesting kessel of fish um but anyway let's uh let's move on um listeners if you do have any more questions for us then just give us a shout on twitter or email us um we would love to hear your questions um let's talk us open joel which is obviously like the next slam i'm really looking forward to it but i don't know if it's i mean is it going to happen you know the us are seeing increasing uh, rates of covid uh it's not looking good over there i personally wouldn't want to go there uh anytime soon some players are also obviously worried uh we had a really good chat with gabby dabrowski in one of our recent episodes so if, if anyone hasn't listened to that i would thoroughly recommend that they do because she really kind of lays out um you know her thoughts but a lot of players kind of thoughts and uncertainty about about the tournament and um all the kind of concerns over like player safety and the protocols and and measures and how do you enforce you know the player bubbles and you know it's really good um you know uh really good chat that we had with her so do go and listen to that but um what's your thoughts on this i mean i know i don't think rafa's gonna play it i've seen him practicing on clay that doesn't to me uh tell me that he's gonna go off and play on the hard court <laughs> in america uh and i think i would side with him in the sense that i would want to stay in europe as well but what's your thoughts joel oh it's it's a it's in that situation at the moment where it's like will it will it happen won't it happen and all the it feels like at the moment genuinely all the players are coming coming out and giving their you know giving their two cents on you know whether they'll play it or whether they won't um i think it was kind of interesting for me certainly with the you know with the majority the majority of players um i, I you know looking at kind of ranking points and like their ranking it, it feels like a lot of the lower ranked players feel like if they don't play it you know their ranking would get affected Mm. and will obviously drop and as a result of that they feel like they might like they they have to play it in order to kind of keep their you know their ranking up and I think that raises an interesting question around you know I think the the rankings were frozen over lockdown um, but I don't want to feel I feel like we might be you know are we venturing towards a situation where the you know rankings are almost being used as leverage to force players to play because you know they feel like they have to in order to you know ensure that they don't drop out of the you know top 250 which you know means that they wouldn't be able to get into you know events etc um so i think that's an interesting i think that's an interesting line of um conversation i know alexi papyrin um was kind of talking about this he said um, you know, if the if the ranking po- points won't be frozen, then most of us would be forced to go and play because our ranking will drop and we wouldn't have any say in it. Uh, but if the rankings are frozen, then I am staying here. I will stay in Europe where it's safe with my family. So I don't know if there needs to be like you know, or even if it's in, it being talked about, like 
you know that sort of flexibility of can you turn the can you have the ranking freeze in place for players who don't want to um you know put their safety at risk i know it's a very tricky very tricky issue because you can't you can't do one for one person and yeah you can't do that really it needs to be uniform doesn't doesn't it Um, yeah but it feels like these it feels like these sorts of players though who want to put their you know safety and well-being first that you know at the moment they feel like potentially that they're um getting um uh, you know they're, they're getting disadvantaged because of it and it feels like those sorts of players in that camp need better protection whether that's a ranking freeze or, or something else um because i don't i don't I, I feel like you know at the moment it's still it's, it should be a, it should be the players it should be the players own choice yeah but you can't freeze it for some people not others just because they don't want to mm. go do you know what i mean like what if you you know dan evans could play it get to the semi-final his ranking's going to go up massively if he yeah. then had a ranking freeze how unfair would that be when he's done all that work and you know had such a great run um you you couldn't sort of say oh yeah but yeah you get your prize money great but you're not going to go up to like the top 10 or whatever uh so i just don't see how that would i totally understand what like you know popper in saying but like i just don't i don't think when tennis is actually get underway again i just don't think you can uh do that but and obviously rafa like is defending champion of the us so he's obviously just going to lose 2000 points um doesn't really matter for him you know he's doesn't have to worry about money or anything like that but um it's just interesting obviously that top players you know have the comfort to be able to kind of decide yes no but the lower ranked players that's kind of where it's i guess more of an issue um interestingly djokovic i think um has said that he is kind of inclined to play the us open uh but he's wondering about the quarantine laws when you then you know have to go back to europe because obviously i think at the moment America's kind of barred from Europe. So if people are playing the US Open, then they've got to come over to the Europe for, you know, Madrid, Rome and Paris. What's the kind of situation like with quarantine and being able to get in? Like, do you have to choose between playing the US Open and playing Roland Garros? Um, Like, where do you go? It's, would they just make an exception for, you know, the athletes coming in from America? Um, I don't know how that's going to work in reality. They still need to iron these kinds of, issues out but they really need to iron them out kind of soon i suppose so people can actually make plans yeah it's it is, it is an interesting one because you know Europe, european based players if i guess if you ask them the question you know would you rather play tennis in europe or united states i feel like there's only one answer and it's it's europe because you know united states at the moment is not a you know is not a good place i think you know i, I woke up on i woke up earlier in the week and there was a bbc notification on my phone that was like you know record you know record number of cases of um of covid and you know and it it doesn't feel like the situation is and it doesn't feel like the situation is under control over there and then you're asking people you know tennis players to go out of the way to kind of play tennis around you know this world that doesn't you know is where there's a lot of um you know where yeah as i said it doesn't feel in control and and it's yeah it's it's a very it's a very interesting one but you know it's a grand slam it's it feels like it it it, it, it's it's there for the taking for someone because you know of this sort of situation and that might be just compelling enough for you know a lot of people the fact that it's a grand slam and you know i yeah i i could I could be the first Grand Slam champion out out of out of lockdown. 
Well, if everyone else drops out, I think there's you know a chance we could turn up and play it and, and win. <laughs> Who knows? Like if you're ranked 101, you could you could uh, rock up and win it. If mm-hmm. if there's like mass dropout in the week before, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But just some other bits of news to touch on. Um, China have said that they will not be staging any interna- international sports for the rest of the year. Um, so that's going to affect a lot of WTA events, um, like especially the finals in Shenzhen and also Wuhan. Kim, I'm sure the WTA are really happy they focus all their <laughs> efforts on like making lots of tournaments in uh in you know in China and Asia generally uh, over the last few over the last few years. Only for like China now to be like, oh, by the way, we're yeah, we're not really going to do any international sports the rest of the year because that is a there's a lot of events uh, on the WTA tour, you know, in, on that part of the world, including the WTA finals, which. You know, we would be in Shenzhen in in November. Um, so that is, you know, already that's immediately at risk in terms of, you know, would it go ahead in China or would they have to maybe even take it elsewhere? I think they could take these things elsewhere. Like there's plenty of other stadiums, you know, that they could use. Like they could go back to Singapore. I mean, I don't know if Singapore would want them, but anyone who's willing to have them and get a bit of money, I'm sure they'd be wanting mm. to put it up. Um, mm-hmm. But also the dub. Uh, what am I saying? The ATP finals in London. Uh, that's, I think, you know, the intention of the of the organisers is that is going to still go ahead. But I would, I would assume, I may assume wrongly, but I would assume they will play without fans. Um, but we will have to see because obviously this is the last year that that is due to take place before they move to Turin. Um, so anyone, I don't know, anyone who's bought tickets. I did go on the website the other day, and they were, I think they were still selling tickets. And I'm just thinking, hmm, oh, really interesting. Um, I don't know. I mean, I didn't go through the whole process, but I was um, just having a little look. I certainly don't want to go sit in a stuffy arena uh, without ventilation <laughs> uh, during November in London. I was thinking about specifically indoor events. Like, are they even more at risk than the yeah. you know the outdoor ones? I because so. you know, we, you know, all the government advice has been about you know get your fresh air and you know be outdoor, etc. But um, you know, I don't know if indoor, uh, are, you know, in uh, events in indoor arenas are are even at more of risk, or or more needs to be, you know, more even more needs to be done because of, you know, because of that, um, you know, because of that factor. Um, I did, I did love Kim. I was just going to say, um, it feels like the WTA finals and, and China. That's like that's been ruled by science, but. Mm. The fact that the World Tour Finals, the ATP have come out and are like pressing forward with that, it just reeks of, um, you know, this is a massive money spinner for us. We need to, it to go ahead to get out to the global live audience. Um, and so, you know, with fans or no fans, they're not bothered. They just need to get that on TV for yeah, people. Yeah, I think you can. I mean, obviously, the World Tour Finals is a, is a limited field. I think you can do a really contained event, like a mm. bit like Battle of the Brits. But you need to make sure that everyone is really adhering to staying in their bubble and not going gallivanting around London, for example. Um, it's a bit like the F1. Um, they, You know, they've been going to track from track to track. And the idea is that everyone stays like in their compound and do not go into like the nearest city. And I think it's easier with F1 because a lot of the tracks are like not, you know, not right next to a city. Often they are a bit like out of the way. So, um, and so far that's kind of seemed to have worked fine, but you know, we'll have to see. Um, 
let's end on something a bit more positive, Joel, um, rather than being down in the dumps, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> and that is that Wimbledon have distributed £10 million worth of prize money to the 620 players who would have been taking part. So because um, the AELTC obviously took out that insurance policy, which meant that they could... Um, you know, they didn't lose millions of pounds because of the pandemic. And um, they've actually been able to pay out uh, money to players. So like, for example, the singles players, the 256 players that would have been in those draws, they're going to get 25K each. So they're just kind of, you know, splitting it fairly, I suppose. Uh, and then also qualifying um, players and doubles players, wheelchair, etc. They're also getting, you know, like their share of the prize money pot. So that's a really nice... Uh, thing that they've been able to do and obviously <laughs> gives Wimbledon's like image and reputation a big boost in tennis as well not that it kind of maybe <laughs> needed it um and just on the side note of fans you know they have also said there will not be a public ballot for tickets next year um that's you know because they've obviously transferred over this year's ticket holders to next year I would assume um so anyone who was lucky enough to get tickets in the ballot for this year um they can I use them for next Kim, year if there's know- going to be fans <laughs> Kim, I want to know what's going to happen to the Wimbledon queue next year. I know. Has the Wimbledon queue become extinct? I hope not. I mean, I think next year maybe they will have to like really consider it, but God knows how long, you know, pandemic is going to go on for. But I, I hope that long term, like five years from now, 10 years, I, I would love to see the queue still going strong because you know, I would it's not. one of my favourite things. You've never really queued, Joel. You're, you're a lightweight. No. <laughs> I mean, I know that there are arguments, you know, for and against the queue anyway. And I do think there needs to be maybe another element of how to get tickets added, but oh. I certainly love the camping and I oh, love no. the queuing myself. I, I hope if there is one thing that's come out of this, and it's, I, for me personally, could this be the, fin- the final nail in the coffin no, on the Wimbledon queue? No, <laughs> never. Um, yes, uh, but, but uh, yeah, listeners, uh, yeah, let us let us know. What do you think about the Wimbledon queue? Do you, do you think do you think it could exist next year? Do you, do you expect to see it? Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, but yeah, we hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to this episode, this latest catch up with uh, Joel and Kim. Um, if you have enjoyed listening to us, uh, remember you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're on loads of different platforms. I'll just name some of the others because I know we don't really normally touch on these, but we're on uh, yeah, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, um we're on all of them so uh, make sure um if you are enjoying listening to us to so click that subscribe button and you'll get your uh we'll get the latest episodes from us straight into your inbox and yeah if you enjoy uh you can obviously tell your friends as well if anyone if any of your friends love tennis as much as we do or as much as you do make sure you tell them about the passing shot uh, we would really appreciate it indeed and you can also obviously follow us on social media uh, twitter instagram and facebook uh let us know your thoughts uh, your questions your queries um you know we'd love to hear them and we'd love to kind of answer them and see what kind of is going on with everyone um you can also send them in via email as well at passingshotpod at gmail.com so do get in touch and we'd love to hear from you yes and uh, yeah just a quick shout out actually for our previous episodes i know we've been we put out quite a few recently we did a bit of a 
we went into a little bit of a Wimbledon mode and we published our top 16 dramatic moments of the last decade over two parts. So make sure you listen to that, um, as well as our interview with ladies doubles finalists and two time uh, mixed Grand Slam champion Gabby Dabrowski. If you're interested in hearing what all the sorts, all the kind of the player perspectives on the situation at the moment and if you want something a little bit more light-hearted uh, and something that's close to Kim's heart you've got our Wimbledon the movie film review with Paul Bettany and Kirsten Dunst but yeah that's that's it for this episode uh, we'll be back uh, I'm sure we'll be back at some point in the future probably next Sunday I don't know what it's going to be yet but uh, we will be back and I hope you can join us then I hope you're doing well and um, yeah you'll keep you're keeping busy and um Yeah, we'll speak to you again shortly. Joel, I can't believe you'd camp at Glastonbury, but not for Wimbledon. Like, what is that about? How can you justify that? Oh, it's just a queuing. Like, the Wimbledon queue just takes so long. And I don't really want to interact with anyone. I just want to go (laughs) in, watch some tennis and, and get out. Whereas... Uh, Glastonbury, is, I feel like it's genuinely part of the experience. Wimbledon, I just think it's like a, yeah, it's a bit of an add-on. You just want to get a debenture seat, don't you, and stroll into Wimbledon and like eat <laughs> yeah. your, like fancy dinner and and then you know leave at five o'clock. If you you can you can kind of slum it in the Wimbledon queue. I'm just gonna like I'm gonna go by the debenture entrance and kind of try and make some pals out there and yeah with a with a suit and tie on.